Hey, what's up? Hey guys, uh, we're Jarrett and Jeannie Stevens. We were here last week. If you were here last week, we, we got to meet you f- from a distance. And uh, we're really, really grateful to be back with you guys tonight. Um, yes. We love what God's, I don't say that lightly, we really love what God's doing here and praying for what God's doing here at Charlotte One. It's a very special, unique thing. And so we're just really honored that you guys would have us back. And we were talking with David afterwards uh, last week and just going, you know, he just came to us and was like, man, do you think, do you think like we'll be done next, after next week? And we we're like, I don't know, man. It's like, you know, you kind of know this community a whole lot more than we do. And so we just began talking. He's like, well, what do you think, like, does there be any way that you guys would come back, like, for a third week? And I was like, like, are you asking me out? Like, I was, I didn't know. <laughs> and so we talked and we thought, you know what, that would be really cool to come back if you guys will have us next week. And what we, what we want to do next week is really kind of, we, we're presenting thoughts from God's Word over last week and this week and, and our experience and that kind of stuff. But we really want to hear from you guys and your story. And so... Uh, next week is really going to be, for the most part, kind of question and answer sort of deal. And uh, we'll, we'll take out some of the town hall weirdness of it. Like, you know, there won't be a whole lot of open mic kind of this. But you can actually email in questions that you have, maybe that you've been afraid to ask, and we'll keep it incredibly anonymous. In fact, I think there's only one person that would even see your email, so you don't have to worry about that. Or you can Twitter them into the Charlotte One uh, Twitter account. And we just want to kind of dive into that, like more specifically, what, what is it that you guys are wondering about, and you have a friend who struggles with this, so that's cool. We want to help <laughs> you and your friend. And so we'll be back actually next week. We're really, really grateful to God that it's going to work out to keep hanging out here. The truth is we just don't have a life, and so we're just looking for people to hang out with, <laughs> and you guys step in. So next week, uh, and Dave will tell you a little bit more about that, but you can email him in, and you can Twitter him in, and the more you do that, uh, the more we'll have room to dialogue with God and his heart about love and sex and dating. And let's keep it to those topics. Let's not go like questions about the apocalypse and who will be left behind. And let's, let's save that for David's next week. But we'll do, um, but let's keep it to that stuff. And so we'll, we'll be stoked to do that next week. Yeah, but tonight uh, we're very excited uh, because we're going to talk about sex. And, uh, and how fun is that? Uh, and, uh, and because of that, this past week, Jarrett and I have really committed ourselves to some research. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, we feel like we really want to be able to bring, you know, our best from, and, um, right. and, right. and speak from a place of, uh, of understanding. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, uh, no, honestly, uh, you know, when it comes to the whole area of sex, I, I really do believe that uh, so often, especially when we talk about it in a, in a churchy culture or in a, uh, in a Christian culture or in, or in a gathering like this, um, at times we want to keep, um, keep it really politically correct. And, and we don't want to talk about anything that's uncomfortable. We don't want to talk about anything that might cause us to, you know, get awkward in our seats and, and, and go, oh, why did they have to talk about that? Uh, but, but we really want to be honest tonight. Uh, we want to push away the lies, push away uh, all of the things that uh, at times inflict uh, a sense of uh, just shame. Uh, We want to get honest tonight, Uh, and we want to even go back to like health class 101 to a certain degree. Uh, You know, uh, I don't know about you, uh, maybe you were taught about sex through the birds and the bees, and um, you know, which was actually always quite confusing to me when people would talk about that because I didn't understand how a bird and a bee would have sex. Um, I thought that I thought that would really hurt the bird. Um, 
But um, anyways, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but how many of you actually remember uh, someone having a sex talk with you when Especially you were younger? Hands. Yeah, I didn't show have of hands, a few wow. of you. Yeah, uh, how many of you remember at a, a semi young age? being curious and wondering how does okay. that all work? Yeah, maybe less of you want to raise yeah. your hands. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing because at a very young age, our curiosity gets piqued and, and, we're, and we're wondering how does this all work? And it's fascinating to think that when a baby comes out of the womb, they are 100% wired mm -hmm. to be a fully functioning sexual being in the world. Now, clearly they have to wait quite some time, but God wired it into us. And, you know, that is for every other baby except our babies. That's um, true. They will not. Yeah. We're bringing back they, the eunuch idea. They, they will never, they will never uh, mm -hmm. know about it. And uh, mm -hmm. actually, I brought some pictures uh, of our babies. We um, do have babies. I thought you might like to see this. This is our, our son, son Elijah. Elijah. He is. Uh, He's like three and a half, and uh, so awesome. this is Gigi. Uh, so, Gigi. yeah, these are our kids that will never um, know anything about no, sex, no, and if gonna... any of you ever teach them about it, I will find we'll, you. We'll hunt you down, um, kill you. But nonetheless, I mean, uh, uh, young children uh, have the most fascinating questions about it. In fact, I found some hilarious uh, statements. Um, this was asked of some kids about when it comes to the opposite sex and dating and, and how it all works. And Mike, who is eight years old, was asked, what do most people do on a date? And this is what Mike said at eight years old. On the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. It's pretty. It's pretty accurate. Mike's pretty insightful yeah. at eight years old, it's very uh, wise. I would have to say. It's very wise. Uh, I, I love this one. The question was asked, what is the proper age to get married? And Tom, who was five years old, said, once I'm done with kinder kindergarten, I'm going to go find me a wife. He's <laughs> a, a man on a mission. He really is. Yeah. Uh, he's getting about it. And then yeah. Bobby, who's seven years old, when he was asked about love, he said this. Love will just find you, even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but girls just keep finding me. <laughs> so, uh, seven-year-old Bobby, seven-year-old Bobby has a lot to say about love, and, and we start out so innocent, and we start out so curious, and, and that curiosity and that innocence uh, oftentimes gets broken yeah. and it gets fractured and it gets hurt and, and we want to talk from a really honest place tonight about all of that. Yeah, because there's a, a foundational truth about sex and about God that honestly has just completely been lost in our lives and in our culture. Uh, the, the, the truth is uh, that God had this crazy idea, you know, a couple hundred thousand years ago, it's a, a, to create people in his image, to create us in the living image, like to be a living reflection of God. So th that's really what the Genesis 1 account tells us, that God, within the context of the Trinity, said, look, let's make people in our image to bear our likeness in the world, and let, let's make them uh, in a, such a creative way that they will have uh, choices and thoughts and feelings and desires. God could have very easily created us to be these sort of non-sexual or asexual beings just kind of walking about the earth. And that's really, honestly, that's as far as we understand, that's what angels are. They don't have this sort of component that we have. But yet God 
and his loving kindness and creativity created us with sexuality as part of our identity. If you go to Genesis 1, 27 and 28, you can kind of see the heart of God written on these pages. It says this. It says that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So making a point here. This is what's interesting. Verse 28. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So here we see that people, you and I, are created in the image of God to be a living reflection of God. All of who we are reflecting all of who God is in this earth, including your sexuality, especially actually your sexuality. That part of you isn't this um, bad, evil thing. It was actually put in there by God himself. And you can read that verse, Genesis 1.28, the second part of that, very literally, and you're like, go and multiply and fill the earth because we have a lot of real estate here we got to fill. You know, we could kind of take it that way. As, but if you look and you see the heart of God weaving in who he is into who we are, you see it much differently. You see God saying, look, here's, here's the thing, Adam and Eve, just as you were created, I'm creating you to create. Just as you were created, now you can, you will create, because that's a reflection of who I am. And you won't have to do it by digging in the dirt. You won't have to do it by borrowing ribs from each other. I'm going to allow you to do this with this wonderful thing that I've created called sex. And it's really awesome. You know, you can kind of imagine Adam and Eve, because they've never had this talk before. This is their birds and the bees talk with God. You know, you just imagine Adam like, but Lord. Because he was British. I don't know if you knew that, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Lord, the sunset is beautiful. Is it as beautiful as the sunset? God's like, yeah, it's kind of better than sunsets. You got to trust me on this one, Adam. But Lord, we love the wind and the waves. It is as lovely as the wind and the waves. Yeah, trust me, it's a lot better than wind and waves. Just try it and, and you'll find what I'm talking about here. I mean, God created this idea of creation, the act of sex, to be enjoyable and pleasurable. And he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that, but he did. God wove his character into our sexuality. And I I think if I'm Adam and Eve and I'm discovering that that reflection of God in me, that's going to be a wonderful time. I mean, can you imagine what that must have been like for them? God's like, all right, here's the situation. Like, I've created you to create, and at the same time, I want you to take care of the garden. You're going to be naming a lot of animals, you know, so there's some some work to do. If I'm Adam and Eve, I'm like, yeah, after sex. We'll get to all that after, because they're already naked. They're halfway there to begin with. And so it's like, I mean, that's why I honestly think we have names like cat and dog. Because Adam's like, we got sex to have. I don't have time for these. Like, clearly the duck-billed platypus was named before sex. Like, that's when he had time to be creative. And there's like cat, dog, sex. So, I, I mean, you can see. Maybe I'm interpreting my own. That's so bad. Okay, maybe I'm interpreting my own. But you can see the heart of God, and this is what's amazing. This is what's so beautiful. You see the heart of God in two ways. You see it because it is creative, and it's beautiful, and it's enjoyable. And at the same time, though, you see God creates it within a very real construct, within a very real context. It is to be experienced between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman in the context of this covenant marriage that Adam and Eve really become sort of the model for, at least in the creation story. So God has this wonderfully, wildly, beautiful, creative thing uh, in, in the context, though. It's in its proper place that we see here in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. The, what's interesting, too, is like that's true from the Bible. 
But what was uh, a couple years ago, the American Journal of Medicine did a study to kind of just see where American sexuality was at. And so this is what we know to be true about God. It's a wonderful, creative, enjoyable thing within the context of marriage. American uh, Journal of Medicine does this study a couple years ago and finds that of all the people that they polled and all the people they got information from, the most sexually satisfied demographic, this is a non-Jesus Christian organization, the most sexually satisfied were married couples. And within that demographic, this is where it gets very interesting, the most sexually satisfied married demographic was those between the ages of 50 and 59. Yeah, that's your parents. <laughs> You're welcome. I just want to leave you with that. But yeah. that's how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this wonderful, enjoyable thing in the context of marriage. Yeah. And, you know, thank you, Jared. Uh, I feel like all I've done is help so far. Yeah, everyone, everyone just it's needs good. to clean their brains yeah, right now. You know, honestly, um, when Jared and I got married, uh, one of the things that I am most grateful for, um, and in a really healthy uh, and humble way proud of, is that we were both virgins when we got married. And, uh, you know, when we were young, we both independently, uh, separately, we, we didn't even know each other, had made commitments. Uh, we had made commitments to God and said, God, give us the strength, uh, give us the power, work in, inside of our lives so that, uh, you know, if in fact there is a day that comes when we stand at an altar and pledge our loves to another person, God, may we give ourselves fully to that person. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that that is a part of our story. Uh, Hebrews uh, 13.4, there's, there's a passage in Scripture, and, and from the message version, it says this, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. I mean, God is very clear that uh, his design, his design of this whole wonderful thing is for marriage. And, uh, and I am grateful that, uh, that we got to that day. The other side of that story, and I will be very honest with you, we dated for three years, and for three years we wanted to have sex. Uh, I am not going to lie to you. There was a... <laughs> <laughs> Some of us more than others, I think. So. Well, I can't wait to have our conversation on the ride home yeah, tonight. Yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, in those three years that we were dating, uh, th that magnetic draw, that magnetic connection, that magnetic desire was red hot. Uh, there, there were multiple, multiple times where, I mean, honestly, I thought, I, I don't get this. I know I'm going to marry you. I know that we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. And yet there was that commitment, and there was that belief that God had designed it for marriage. And I'll be even more honest with you, there were moments where I thought, God, I don't even understand this. Because on August 10th, 1996, Jarrett stood at the front of a church, and my dad walked me down an aisle, and there were songs that were sung, and there were tears that were shed, and there were promises that were made, and a kiss took place, and somebody said, I now pronounce you husband and wife, and boom, the, pl 
playing field was open. I mean, I literally felt like somebody should have said to us, you've been so patient, would you like to take a few moments? Like, uh, I, 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 it was so strange to me that literally, literally, in 45 minutes, the door was now open for us. And it was honorable, and it was right, mm -hmm. and it was good, and it was pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. And it was confusing to me why God created us with such a desire and then said, wait. And, and I mean, if, if it were me, if I were God, I would have designed it in such a way where like at the marriage ceremony, like angels come down and like poof, all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, <laughs> come on. Like, and, and that's when the desire comes. But yet God longs for us to live in this tension yeah. and to live in this desire because God is trying to reveal a part of his character to us mm -hmm. in the middle of that, mm -hmm. in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that, that tension that, that really provides, honestly, an avenue for dependence on God. Be and so there's a really wonderful thing that can come from that tension. But I think, at least, I mean, for us, and I know for so many of you, what, what we re resort to is not dependence on God in the middle of that sexual tension. What we want to try and figure out is, where's the line? It's like, okay, God, what, what do you require from me? Okay, where's the line? And if I, as long as I kind of like color between the lines, uh, that, that makes everyone happy and no one has to get God involved. So just tell me kind of what the line is and I'll do every possible thing up to that line, but as long as it's, that's the line, I, I, you know, I, won't, I won't cross that line. So that's the line, God, but I guess I'm just going to do everything else. And, and what ends up happening when we do that is we draw this line here and say, okay, well, it's not this. And, and for most Christians, they would say, okay, well, if God saves sex from marriage, and as long as I don't physically, there we go, physically have like the act of sex, okay, as long as sort of like sexual act, then I'm okay. Then I haven't gone too far. But what that leaves then is a lot of room leading up to that and a lot of questions. Okay, so if that's the line, we're not going to physically have the act of sex. Well, what about all the stuff that leads up to that? Where does oral sex fit into that? Where does past sexual history, maybe before you started following Jesus or being interested in God, where does that fit into that? Where does pornography fit into that? Because we've drawn a line and said, well, this is really all God cares about, so as long as I don't do that, I'm okay. But that leaves more and more and more questions and leaves us, honestly, more chaos. And what we end up doing is we make God, in essence, a virginity referee, you know, that all he cares about is just don't cross the line, because that's, that's what God wants. And in all our rules about sex and all our lines about how far is too far, we completely miss the heart of God that we were just talking about a minute ago. We completely miss what God created us for in the fulfillment of that desire within the context of marriage and even in a dependence on him that grows outside of that. We miss all of that when we make God just sort of a virginity referee. Because here's the kind of fascinating paradigm shift for Jeannie and I was, you know, we, we did make this vow and we were virgins when we got married, but Honestly, at the end of the day, God cares less about my virginity than he does my purity. God is way less concerned about your virginity than he is the purity of your heart and your life. That's what he's into. I mean, it says Matthew 5, 8, it says this, Blessed are the what? Pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. You will see 
God when you are pursuing purity. God is not, Jesus, Jesus did not say here, blessed are those of you who happen to remain virgins, for you shall be rewarded one day, assuming thou dost get married before thou dost die. It's like, there's, where's, the, where's the promise in that, right? Where's the life in that? Anyone can do that. Jesus said, no, you pursue purity, and you'll see God. You will see him in your life. You'll see him in your sexuality. Yeah. And the beauty in this, and the beauty of the word blessed are you, is, is what Jesus is saying here is that you are special. You are called to do this because I want you to see me. I want to reveal myself to you, and I reveal myself to you. You see me as you pursue purity. Mm. Not as you just pursue being a virgin, but as you pursue purity. And purity is about your entire life, mm -hmm. and purity includes everyone. Yeah. Because the moment that Jer and I got married, purity didn't stop for us. Right. I still want to see God. It is a life pursuit of mine to see God. And so, so that is God's heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see yeah, God. I mean, we'll just kind of break it down for you here if we can. If you're to talk about the difference between uh, virginity, which we hear a lot of talk about, and especially if you grew up around church, you know, that's kind of a big deal. And you, you sign things that go to Washington, D.C. that say you're going to remain a virgin. Um, here's, here's, uh, here's one of the big things. Uh, honestly, virginity is more about avoiding. It's more about avoiding sex. That's what virginity is, is really all about. Purity is something yeah. very different. And purity is all about a pursuit. It's about something that you are moving towards. Uh, you know, you could say this about virginity. Jeannie just said it. Virginity is great. We're not dogging virginity, but that ends at marriage, right? <laughs> if it doesn't, then you should talk to someone. But it's like, <laughs> the idea is like, that's, that's it. Like, so if you pursue virginity, if you avoid sex, pursue virginity, well, then once you, if you get married, once you're married, that's, that's kind of the end yeah. of the game there. And the beauty about purity, as we just said, is it's a lifetime experience. It's something that moves with you throughout life. Virginity specifically is about the physical act of sex. Again, don't get us wrong. Like, that's very important to, you know, that we made that commitment. But it is just about a single, solitary, physical act of sex, a one-time yeah. act of sex. And the beauty about purity is that literally it is about your entire life. It is all of you. Every ounce of you, God desires to be pure. Virginity, ultimately, at the end of the day, is really about me. It's really just about you. It's this commitment, and I, I made a commitment that I am going to not have sex till I'm married. I'm going to save that for my wife. Ultimately, though, at the end of the day, it really, even though I say, well, I want to give this to my wife, it is a, it's a me kind of thing that I take upon myself to avoid sex till marriage. Yeah. Impurity is this beautiful relationship of God with me. That, that it is impurity where God makes the promise, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. 
It is a God with me relationship. Yeah, that's right. I, I think this was honestly a paradigm shift that came to us, the idea that God is far more interested in my purity than he is my virginity. Don't hear us wrong. Like, if you have fought to keep your virginity, that's a good thing. We're not discounting virginity. We're just saying that's a part of it. That's a piece of it. But the bigger picture is about the purity of your life. The crazy thing is, you can be a virgin, get married, but still have incredibly impure thoughts. You can be a virgin and not have had the physical act of sex, but completely degrade women or completely demean men with the way that you look at them. You can be a virgin and still have a totally impure, messed up thought life and all that kind of stuff that goes into that. So God's like, listen, that's very, very, very important. Virginity, that's, but that's just, a, that's just a small piece of the bigger thing, which is the purity of your heart. And as we've been saying over and over and over again, when you pursue purity, that's when you see God. That's when things are very hard and very tempting. But your pursuit is purity with God, to have your whole life be pure before God. That's when you begin to see temptation, at least for what it is. That's when you begin to see how cheap those images are. That's when you begin to see how unsatisfying, ultimately, even with all the promises that this physical act is going to be right now, you know where that will lead, and you desire something greater than just temporal satisfaction, and you actually see God in a moment well enough to love someone more than your own physical desires. When you pursue purity, you see. It's like the veil is lifted from the sexual lies and myths and clouds that cloud our vision. And God says, no, I will allow you to see me in this, in this struggle, in this joy, in this life of pursuing purity. But I think that each of us, uh, in, in some way, shape, or form, we could either tell the story of another person or, or our own story. Um, the design, the original picture, the beauty that God created, it gets broken and it gets tattered, doesn't it? I mean, it gets damaged, and, and in so many stories, it ends up getting demolished in some ways. And I think this is our struggle that, that somewhere in our hearts, because we know, we know whether we even know God or not, we know that that was put inside of our DNA that this is a beautiful, sacred thing. Mm -hmm. and, and most of us would probably say we long to experience sex like God created us to experience it, but we don't. And the reflection of our sexuality, it starts to resemble more of our selfish desires or the empty promises and the lies of this world. And instead of it looking like what God originally meant for it to look, we forget who created the image itself. And what ends up happening is our desires and our hopes and what we think we need, they start to sit on the altar. Mm. And oftentimes, this brokenness, I've found it falls into two different categories. It's things that, that we do to shatter that image and then even the more sometimes difficult thing is things that have been done to us that shatter that image. And when it comes to uh, things done to us, this often, 
it ignites a level of pain and hurt and, uh, and just a, a sense that the world is, is broken. And, you know, whether it is things that uh, were said to you, things that were said about your body, comment that was made, maybe even in jest or a joke, but it went in, mm-hmm. and you've carried that around, and it's this, it's this quiet lie that just sort of edges its way into your mind, and it, and it fills your thought life about who you are and, and what your body is and, and how you contribute in the world. Or maybe it, it is an experience of someone making you do something that you know you didn't want to do, Mm. someone forcing themselves on you, Mm. someone sexually taking advantage of you. Mm. These are things done to us that break the heart of God, Mm -hmm. that hurt the heart of God. Mm -hmm. But they they put us in a posture of, of the beauty of sex being broken in our hearts. Yeah, I think of just even my own story and friends' stories that I know for, um, for some of you, what was done to you is you were exposed to things at an early age you shouldn't have been. You saw a magazine that you shouldn't have seen or a movie that you shouldn't have seen ever, but especially at a very young age, and that just, it just broke something. You didn't want to, you didn't choose to, it was out, and, and, and that someone else's irresponsibility or someone else's sin has affected you and is still with you today. That thing that you saw 15 years ago has greatly contributed to the brokenness of your sexuality today. For many um, in this room, uh, physical or sexual abuse, as Jeannie mentioned, is something that has been done to you that we don't speak about lightly in any way because it it breaks the heart of God. It shatters the shalom of God, the peace of God. I mean, just statistically speaking in this room alone, statistically, one in every three women have somewhere, somehow experienced some form of physical or sexual abuse. So in this room, that's around 100, 120 women. One in every five men have experienced some form of physical or sexual abuse. So around 65, 70 or so guys in this room have experienced that in some capacity. When you think about what that has done to your own life, the things that someone has done or things that have been done to you, you can, you can see, you, you don't need us to tell you what that's done to your sexuality, what that's done to your image of your sexuality or of yourself, and ultimately what that's done to your image of God in some capacity. And it breaks the heart of God that someone else's sin would cause pain in your life. You have to hear that. It breaks the heart of your Father God. And the thing maybe that you've been so angry at him for is the thing actually that has broken his heart for you. And he is not uh, only desiring to heal you, he's not only wanting to make whole what was broken, he is able to. He's able to. He can for the things that have been done to you and for the things that you've done. Because every one of us would say at some level, you know what, I, I'm responsible too. I'm responsible too. Anytime that you settle 
for something that you thought, you know, you draw the line thing. You go, okay, well, I'm not doing that, so it's okay for me to do this. You, you name it. We're not going to go to that whole thing like how far is too far. If you're asking that question, you've gone too far, okay? Anytime you settle and say, well, I, I can't do that, but, I'll do, but I want to do this, you, you're chipping away. You're breaking away the beauty, the purity of your sexuality that God has created you for. I tell you, and I would used to say, guys, but this is everyone in this room, every image that you look at, everything you watch online, or every movie that you watch that you think is a small thing, it's just a few minutes, or it's just this one few times, it is eroding your purity. It's not just a one-time thing. It is actually like a bacteria that is eating you up inside, and it's coming out whether you can see it or not. It is chipping away. And so every time you open yourself to that, every time you check that out, every time you flip through but stay on that channel, it is tearing apart the image and the purity of the sexuality that God has actually created you for. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, when, when sex becomes this selfish thing, um, I think our generation um, has termed it hooking up. You know, it's, it's having this, this physical uh, moment without any of the emotional connection that has to go with it. it. And that's not how God designed it. It's not okay. You might be really angry that you came tonight and you're hearing me say that right now. That's not how God designed it. Sexuality and our emotions are to be connected. They're not to be parceled out and separated. Or maybe it's even um, when it comes to just your outward acts and how you look at the opposite sex, how you size them up, how you determine somebody's worth by what their body looks like. Mm. When you yourself are looking in the mirror and you're trying to figure out what should I put on so that It'll cause some attention. It'll make some heads turn. All of that erodes the original intent, the original beauty of what God so longs to have in our lives. And it doesn't take long for us to discover that this thing that was once beautiful, this thing that is an actual reflection of the living God, it gets damaged and it gets broken down and it becomes selfish, and it becomes all about us. You know, I remember when I was, um, when I was growing up, my mom had this uh, these collection of plates, that, these collector plates that she got. Uh, they, they were blue, and they had, like, the year on them and, like, scenes of Nordic life. I'm not exactly sure what the context was for these plates, but they would break the mold every year of these plates, and so that made them go up in value amongst people who collected blue plates. And, um, <laughs> and so, so these are always in our house. I think it went back to like 1968 or something like that. I think it was like the year before my brother was born. So just, you know, a lot of these plates were always somehow in our dining room. And so when I was in college, uh, we, uh, had a, we had a dog at home. His name was Elvis. And, and we, um, he was really stupid. He's just one of, the, one of God's more dumb uh, animals, creatures. But he's a lot of fun. And so... So I had one afternoon, I was back home, I was at the house, and I had taught him how to play tag. It was really funny. Like, I'd 
chase him around and like slap him on the butt and then he'd turn around and start chasing after me and I'd let him get me and then he was really as about as educated as the dog ever got and um <laughs> so Honey, I it doesn't say much about you I gotta <laughs> I know, be <laughs> honest <laughs> it doesn't say much about you yeah. but carry on I'm, I'm the second dumbest creature that got it yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're I want to show my mom you know this that I taught Elvis how to play uh tag again she's very proud of her boy and um so I'm showing her, and we're running through, right? And so he was, a, he was this weird mix of dogs. He's a very low, kind of stocky dog. So he could take corners really tight. I mean, he's low to the ground. And so we're running through, and we're kind of running through the entryway, through the dining room, into the kitchen, family room, entryway, dining room, kitchen. You might see where this is going. So at one point, we come through the dining room into the kitchen, and he makes the corner. I don't. <laughs> and so I'm running and running, and I hit the door frame hard enough that it hit me and it, sp- it kind of like it th- kind of spun me around. So I'm kind of like stumbling backwards into the kitchen, just long enough to catch the expression on my mom's face as uh, about seven or eight of these blue plates freed themselves from the constraints of the wall <laughs> and and you know committed fine china suicide. <laughs> you know just and just as. I mean, I can see it. I mean, I can see kind of spinning around and like kind of figuring out, oh no, and as the plates are falling, my mom's just face and tears start falling because she'd been collecting these for years and years and years and they just shattered. I mean, they just shattered and, and smashed. And I was like, Elvis, you know, I was trying to <laughs> blame the dog, but it was, it was way too late for that. And so uh, I just, I mean, I just felt so stupid. I just felt so, I felt so awful, right? There's this thing that my mom had collected, I think since, you know, her and my dad got married, and, and now they're shattered. I mean, they're literally in thousands of pieces on the floor, and they all kind of look the same. And so, you know, it's like the only right thing to do at that point is honestly is to try and put them all back together. And so we sat, and I, my uncle was in town, so he kind of committed to doing this, and we, we sat and glued these plates back together. It took, the, honestly, the better part of a week to get these things kind of back up into you know, things that resembled plates by the end of it. And we, we, um, we got it all done and put it up back up kind of on the wall where they were hanging. And it's funny, like a few of them, you can really, you can't even tell that anything happened. But the better, like the majority of them, you can see cracks and chips, you know, and, and pieces that don't quite fit like how they used to. But it's back, it's plate, it's there. It's where it's supposed to be. And it's still actually hanging on her wall to this day. You know, for, for us, when it comes to the things that have been done to us and our sexuality and the things that we've done, when it comes to our, maybe our attempts to try and keep our virginity and maybe our failure at that, when it comes to the places where purity has been lost, broken, shattered, for many of us, that's kind of what we show up in this room with tonight. It's just, it's just a bunch of broken pieces. And we, and we don't know what to do with them. And for some of you, you've tried to hold it together the best you can. You've tried to keep the pieces together, but you know how exhausting that is to try and keep that appearance that everything is together mm. all together because it just, it just keeps falling apart. And so, really, I mean, you have to ask your, the question, what do you do with all these broken pieces and parts of your sexuality that are meant to reflect the heart of God. And I think we, we do it kind of only 
we can do is we bring those to God and we ask for the healing and the forgiveness that only God can bring. And it's true, Jean and I were virgins and we got married, but there's still broken pieces of each of our sexuality that we had to bring to each other to confess to each other. And ultimately, we had to bring it to God for him to restore us back to what we were meant to be. And that's the crazy thing, is not only is God desires to do that, not only is God willing to do that with the broken pieces of your sexuality, he, by the power of Jesus Christ, is able. And he can. He can restore you. Yeah. And you know what is, is so unfortunate is that so many people only see this book mm-hmm. and they only see the heart of God as a God of the law. Mm-hmm. As a God that says, don't have sex. Whatever you do, don't have sex. That's the law. Don't break it. And that is not the complete heart of God. Because the complete part of God, the complete heart of God, is that God is a God of grace. That from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, God is about grace. Psalm 147.3 says that God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. God heals the brokenhearted. God heals the cracks that have come our way. God heals the parts that are tattered, that are bruised, that are broken. God heals the lies. God heals the shame. God heals the regret. God heals the places where we have maybe even justified our actions. God heals our fears. God heals the things that potentially we've left in isolation, we've kept in the dark, the kinds of things that we don't want anyone to know about us. God heals those cracks. God heals the secrecy. God heals the horrible, bad memories, the nightmares. And what God does is he puts those pieces together through his grace and through his love and through his freedom. And he says, I am not about lies. I am a God of freedom. I am a God of hope. I am a God of wholeness. I am a God of restoration. I am a God of redemption. I am about making things new. I am about peace. I am about forgiveness. And I want you to live free I want you to be pure so that you can see me and so that you can see my love, so that you can recognize my healing hand, so you can recognize the fact that I gather up all of those pieces and I put them back together and they reflect the image of me and my son and my Holy Spirit at work in your life. That is a God. And that is a God worth following. That is a God worth giving your life to. That is a God that isn't about just holding to a line of virginity. That is a God that is worth saying, I want to see you. I want to pursue you. And I want to live in purity with my whole life. That is the heart of God. Yeah. And so I just think, you know, instead of us talking about that anymore, I just think 
really the best thing for us to do is for you to talk to God. And you bring your heart to him. And it may be a heart that is rock solid because, boy, you have pursued God and pursued purity of your life. And you know that you stand, man, with God. Like, God, I've done the best I can do. And if that's you, then you stand and say, God, man, continue, God, by your grace to help me pursue you fully with my sexuality, with my purity. You know, for a lot of us, it just means it's, it's just time to come and confess and, and to name the things maybe that you've been hiding, the things that you've been running from, the things that you've been running to. Just confess it and just say, God, that is going to continue to make the pieces of my life fall apart. I just want to pursue you. I want to see you. James 5.16 says this, Look, just confess your sins to each other. Confess them. Pray for each other so that you'll be healed. If you want to be healed, you just name the places that are broken where the things that have been done to you or the things that you've done. Because the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. So instead of you trying to keep it all together, instead of us talking about it anymore, we brought what we believe to be the heart of God for your sexuality. Maybe just right now tonight, you just need to say, God, here it is, all of it. All of it. I just want to lay it out before you. I need your grace. I need your healing. I need your forgiveness. I need your strength. And I need to do something about it tonight, God. I know that you're calling me to make some changes and some choices right now in my life. But that vision of seeing you is worth it. So we're just going to spend some time doing that right now. We're just going to, Andy's going to come up, just kind of lead us through time, just whether it be quiet reflection, whether it be you kind of needing to scoot out about this room and just get some stuff right with God, do it. Don't miss this opportunity to confess, to make known, and to seek God, to seek his face with the areas of your life maybe that are shattered and broken. So I want to pray for you towards that, and then we're just going to give you some space to do that, to respond to God in this moment. Is that cool? All right. God, we just, we come to you. God, we come to you because we don't have anywhere else to go. If we're honest, we don't have anywhere else to go but you. And so we just, we know, God, that you are able. We know that you can, God. We really, now it's on us if we will come to you, if we will choose you if we will desire you above our own desires. And God, we cling to the promise that we will not any longer just see the lies, the pain, the hurt, the failure, but that we will see you. As we pursue you, God, we will see you. God, give us pure hearts, God, like only you can. God, restore, renew heal, put back together in a way that only you can. We bring all of who we are to all of who you are, God. Make our lives a living reflection of you in this place, in our lives, in our relationships, we pray. Amen. So feel the freedom right now in this space to kind of get where you need to get. Just take a few minutes, and then we'll, we'll just wrap up here in a few minutes, but let's just bring our hearts, all of who we are to God right now.